Good day and welcome to the Frontline Chatter podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson and I am back after a few months with uh, our special co-host Shane Kleinert. How are you doing today, Shane? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me back. It's always good to be back on the Frontliner, Front Frontliner, Frontline podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's good to, uh, good to be here and I just got back from a little vacation. So batteries are recharged and, and excited and uh, prepping for the holidays. How about yourself? Nice. I'm I'm doing well. Been busy, you know. It, it's been a while since our our last podcast, so good to get another one in before uh, the end of the year. Um, I have not been on vacation, but I am going on my Christmas end end of holiday end of year holiday break here next week. So good to get this in this week and and get it rolling. So um, let's not uh, go any further. Today we have Andrew and Simon from Two Steps. How are you guys doing today? Very well, thank you, uh, Darian and uh, and Shane. Great, to, great to be here. Thanks for um, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you very much for welcoming us on your show. Yes, well, we're, we're, we're uh, glad to have you. Thanks for uh, for reaching out and and opening us up to to more products out there uh, in the space. So you know, let's get cracking. So you know, the first thing, let's kind of talk about two steps. You know, kind of give us an overview uh, in company history. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll grab this one. So, um, so I'm Simon, I'm one of the co-founders of Two Steps along with uh, Andrew. Uh, I, I'm the commercial guy, so I'm pretty much responsible for the, the overarching go-to-market. Um, that kind of entails the partner strategy, uh, direct sales, marketing. Yeah, we're a small business, so <laughs> all of us, we, we wear about five or six hats. Uh, and Andrew, um, the other co-founder. Uh, well, let, you can explain what you do, Andrew. Sure. I'm Andrew Newlands, and I'm the developer who's the primary engineer behind Two Steps. Nice. So, so we have we have the guy in the chair. You <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, have the right guy on the call to answer all the questions between the two of you. So <laughs> that's right. Both sides of the coin on the uh, on the podcast, right? Um, so yeah, so that's that's us. That's me and Andrew. That's a quick intro. Um, and yeah, let me let me tell you a little bit about Two Steps and where it's come from. So um, Andrew and I both worked for uh, a small technology software development company in in Melbourne, in Australia. And um, yeah, th there was a couple of products in that business. Um, one of them was a uh, synthetic monitoring um, uh, product. Uh, that was quite difficult to use. It was primarily a managed service offering um, uh, because the the product was uh, it needed it needed kind of subject matter experts to actually drive uh, drive the test builds. Uh, and Andrew and I sat down one day and decided that um, we we needed to we needed to modernize um, that that product. So we sat in a, a dark room for a day and, um, you know, it was kind of one of those meetings where there was no bad ideas. Um, and we decided to, um, to create a, a product that would essentially try and democratize synthetic monitoring. And, and what I mean by that was make it really simple. Um, so people that had no technical skills could build automation, uh, could build workflows that could be used for um end user experience monitoring so that was kind of our north star let's try and make a product that anybody could use um and the first iteration of the product we we built on on top of splunk um and, and we we decided that we would do that for kind of three or four different reasons the first was that we could 
It enabled us to build the product really quickly. So we used Splunk's data lake for the performance data, and we used Splunk's visualization layer for the dashboards. Uh, so that was that was the first reason. The second reason was we quite liked the idea of um, being able to correlate different data sources to try and get to root cause. So where Splunk were really, really good at sucking up the infrastructure data, uh, our, our, our mission was to bring um, the performance data of what was happening on the user's screen. Um, and so the theory being if end user experience was running slow, you could you could start to look at the infrastructure assets that were responsible for that workflow in one pane of glass. So, you know, am I running out of CPU? Am I running out of RAM? And try and get to, uh, to root cause quickly. Um, and th the third reason was that we were able to then approach organizations that had already invested in Splunk um, and position ourselves as a, as a module. Um, and so that that really shortcutted a lot of the uh, the sales process. And then the fourth was really being able to engage with Splunk and the Splunk managed service providers, educate them on the capability and the value proposition. Um, and that that was a good source of leads for us. So those those were the those were the the four reasons for building the first iteration of the the product on Splunk, and it's it's been it's pretty pretty successful. Uh, and today we actually have another version of the product, Two Step Standalone, which has no Splunk dependency. So it's got its own proprietary um, backend and 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 visualization layer and that allows us to uh to work with organizations uh that aren't splunk customers but are interested in um end user experience monitoring and trying to do things in a, a codeless and agentless way so you know that's that's probably the, the the last three years in in five minutes so hopefully that's a that's a that's a good start no that, that that's a good overview um and and under good understanding you know different backends you know, how you got started. So really good stuff. And I'm sure Shane's going to have some questions here as well. So I'll let him fire away with the next one. Yep. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's always good to hear, uh, you know, kind of like guys, you know, starting out and, and, and solving a problem uh, that you guys kind of set out and, and saw there was a kind of a limited, you know, a, a challenge in the space. And I'm just curious, you know, that's one of the things that you see with a lot of the kind of synthetic monitoring solutions is there's a lot of, you know, either manual coding or, or there's some, you know, potential recording that's done, but then there's uh, other steps that need to get done to kind of kind of bring it all together. So with you guys kind of setting out, you know, starting starting the solution out with the vision of simplicity and usability, you know, what what sort of learning curve is there to to get up and going, you know, with, with two steps? Well, you know, I, I'm not technical at all, um, and I, I do the demos. So on the on the fly live, I'm I'm building tests. Um, so I think, you know, that's the, that's kind of the, the proof of the pudding there, as, <laughs> as you say, um, uh, you know, it's essentially a point and click, um, uh, approach to building these tests. So if, you know, somebody asked me to try and start building Selenium scripts, I'd be, I'd be completely lost. So, um, we, we're using visual recognition as uh, the backbone. Um, so it's essentially, you know, what, what do you want to see on the screen? What, what do you want to interact with? What do you want two steps to find, uh, and then um, and then and then telling it what instruction it is. So you know, kind of right click, double click, um, uh, enter text, um, and so that's kind of one of the the the, the USPs. 
I think the, the other thing that visual recognition allows you to do is um, interact with uh, a whole heap of platforms um, that some of the, um, the more well-known um, vendors um, are, are unable to. Um, so, you know, that, that would be things like um, virtual desktops like Citrix or Azure, um, AVD, um, mainframes, um, Windows, Java. Um, and the, the reality is, while there's, you know, a lot of digital transformation going on and there's a lot of migration to the cloud, large enterprises still pretty much have a hybrid IT environment. So there's still mission critical applications that are being accessed via, you know, Citrix or um, there's homegrown Java applications that are, that are doing a job. And so one of the gaps that we, we saw was that while real user monitoring was, you know, able to interact with um, some of those applications, the, the Selenium approach just wasn't going to cut it. Um, one of the other things that we, we started to work on was um, being able to natively generate two-factor authentication codes as well. So we like to think that we're kind of um, crossing the bridge here, um, where we're able to interact with the older style mission critical applications, but we're also able to work with some of the modern, more modern web platforms that require, you know, one-time pins or, you know, two FA codes as well. So that that was the that was the real gap that we were trying to address. Yep, no, that makes that makes perfect sense, and and definitely helps. Like I said, having a having a recorder like that, and and you know where someone can basically come in and not know how to actually use any kind of scripting language and just go through their workflow, right? That's all people care about. You know, do I know the workflow? Can I go through it? Can I reproduce it? And then trend that out uh, from a synthetic monitoring standpoint. But I guess from my perspective, I've seen from you know different solutions out there. You know, some of the challenges you have, I guess, on the image side. Right is, and I'm curious if you guys have the same challenges, or if so, how do you get around that? Is you know when you're when you do those recordings, right? If the screen resolution's different, or if those images change or look a little different, especially being as you mentioned, you know, modern applications, things change, things are rendered differently on different platforms, right? So how do you handle those kind of changes outside of just the normal scripting? That's a really good question. Might, might be an answer. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> there are a few there are a few prongs to that. Uh, one prong is that, uh, you know, whereas it's something like Selenium or a scripting language, you need a developer who can go back and uh, parse the code and make changes. Uh, the whole two-step experience is driven by a, a WYSIWYG editor. So it is very easy to go and make corrections live if you need to. I mean, you can literally run the program, see, stop it where it, where it breaks down and edit the image then and there in the editor with no technical non skill whatsoever. Uh, beyond that, uh, we do have some sense of, you know, fuzzy image matching. So you can say, you know, something that looks a bit like this, or indeed, here's a whole set of images, something that looks a bit like any of them. So if you have, you know, a Windows Start button, for example, which looks radically different in Windows 10 versus Windows 7, you can say this or this. Uh, in terms of screen resolutions, uh, generally we have complete control over the mechanism used to generate the screen so we can we can size it as we want to it all exists in a virtual frame buffer the two steps controls so we, we actually fix the size of everything and can you know contract or magnify as required so that's not really an issue i think the last point is that on um on on the web test that we can also um have the, the best of both worlds so you can we can we can do element matching and um and, and a visual 
um, a, a visual as well. So we can we can start to kind of interrogate the DOM. And so if if a button if a button changes uh, radically, so let's say it's a you know a green login button and it changes to a blue button that says go, uh, and if that tag remains the same underneath yeah. the hood, then then two steps can look for for both elements. That makes perfect sense. And you had mentioned if or, right? Uh, so I'm assuming so there, there, there's the ability to build kind of conditional logic into that script as well in an easy fashion for the user. Is that kind of, I saw like a demo online, like that advanced checkbox, would that be kind of as we're going through the script where that conditional pieces would, would be built in? Yeah, so you can lay out um, constructs like loops, um, your ifs and breaks and switches, yeah, incrementing variables, all that sort of stuff exists in the two steps language and can be laid out in the editor which has to get a visual representation of the loop to work through. And you can set breakpoints and the like as if we're a real programming language and, and, and step through that. Although that's not usually required for most, most workflows. Nice, so let's kind of transition into, you know, licensing. So how, how is two steps license? Is it by test? Is it by, you know, the, the monitoring it does, the infrastructure? Do you, for example, if I'm monitoring Citrix, do we have to match the Citrix licensing? How are you guys licensed? It's it's a pretty simple model. It's based it's a consumption based pricing model. Um, so it's an annual subscription paid up front, uh, and the consumption is based on the number of executions that the the, the robot will will make. Uh, and the way that we calculate that is um, how many unique user journeys do you want to run. Uh, what's the cadence? So what's what's the frequency? And then how many locations are we running that from? So you might have um, you might have a use case where there's just well let me let me talk about one um, a state government department that has um, fifteen hospitals, um, a patient administration system um, being accessed via Citrix. Uh, and their their requirement was to understand the performance of that um, patient administration system at all of the hospitals. So uh, so we deploy a monitoring node at each geographical location, run the same user journey, um, and push all of that performance data into one central hub. Um, so the way that that's calculated is one user journey, fifteen locations running every five minutes. You need you know, 2 million tests per year. Um, another use case might be, I've got five applications. Uh, I want to I wanna run it every 15 minutes from, from, from one location. Uh, and so we've got a simple rudimentary pricing calculator that um, calculates how many, um, how many tests or executions are required for the year. Um, and the, the great thing about the model is once you have license or subscribe to that that amount of tests then you have complete flexibility as to how you use them so you you might find that one of the applications that you're monitoring is really stable so you can say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna throttle this back a bit now i don't need to run it every five minutes i can run it you know once an hour uh, and that means that you get loads more credit in terms of those uh, those tests that you've subscribed to and you can you can push them you know wherever wherever you want so once once you have that those credits in the bank you can um you can move those dials however however you want to very good thank you yeah, and, and that kind of, I guess, transitions good. You had mentioned kind of remote sites, right? So is that something you had talked about? So in that in that perspective, I guess, what does that look like from, from an architecture perspective? Is this something that you, you know, is your solution something that 
be set up with an appliance, you know, in, in different data centers, or is this something that's a SaaS-based solution where you just have this kind of agent uh, that runs, you know, at each of these remote locations or, or you know, Azure regions or AWS regions, et cetera? What, what does the actual infrastructure look like? So How looking under the hood, remote sites, yeah, yeah. Looking under the hood for the moment, uh, two steps is, is a, a collection of, of microservices running on Linux that communicate via message bus. So both remote sites and high availability uh, are solved in the same way by uh, deploying more microservices in different locations attached to the same message bus. So that can give you both redundancy in terms of running multiple copies of the same thing to the same. They're interchangeable or copies with tagged with a different location. So Sydney and Melbourne locations for execution nodes to give you geographic distribution. And that, that ties into scheduling of jobs. You can say, you know, this job can run anywhere or this job can only run on, on units that are tagged with this location. So what did it look um, like, I guess, from a setup perspective of that, that architecture? When you had mentioned, you know, Linux and things, like, is that something that the users are having to do or it's a service that you turn up you know, as part of a, a SaaS or, or a platform as a service that gets set up in their own, you know, tenants? What does that look like? Or, or also to add on is like a virtual appliance they can download and easily get running. So the software is delivered, as, as I said, as a, as a Linux blob, which can be deployed as a virtual machine or, or in the cloud. So it, the user has complete freedom in where they deploy it. Uh, we're, we're not offering it as a SaaS solution. So this means it can be deployed, for example, in an air-gapped high security environment or, or on-prem or, or deployed into you know, a private Azure tenancy uh, as, as needs require. So no, no connectivity needs to be called back to, to call home or anything. It's all, it's all kind of self-contained once you deploy it. So that, that's good too, because you know, we do come across in the UC space where we have air-gapped customers where they can't have anything going outbound like that. So that's good to know. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, obviously it needs connectivity to, to the service it is testing, yeah. uh, but it doesn't do anything to the outside world, strictly speaking. And then um, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the Splunk backend you started off with and, you know, using native Splunk. Um, and then you talk about a built-in backend. Um, why are we looking at one versus the other? Is it more of if they have a Splunk and they have the licensing to use it, go for it. But if they don't, you don't want to make that a, a hurdle to deploying. Is it more of that kind of situation? And is there any times where you have customers deploying both or, you know, starting with one and moving to the other? Yeah, it's very much the case that if, if Splunk is available and there's no reason not to use it outside of two steps, then you, you might as well use it. Uh, there's no advantage to not using Splunk. Uh, and of course, by using Splunk, you have the ability to combine two steps data with you know, other data sources that are integrated into Splunk. So infrastructure data, for example. Uh, the standalone version of two steps exists so that you know if Splunk isn't available or if there's a long process to, to get access to Splunk and customer needs something now, it doesn't become a showstopper. But there's no there's no specific advantage to not using Splunk. I mean, as as Simon said earlier, two steps was originally forged as a Splunk, uh, a Splunk integration, and the the, the standalone version came after. And then go, going forward, you're always gonna have both options though, right? They're not gonna turn down Splunk and just say we're gonna use our own backend, it, it's always gonna be you know, basically choice of the customer? Absolutely right. I mean, theoretically, one could turn on both backends simultaneously and have the data, the data duplicated if there were a reason to. But the option is always there. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, just based on what you're mentioning, you know, obviously starting, you have a similar story uh, to to uh, Uber Agent. I don't know if you've, uh, you guys are familiar with Uber Agent in the uh, NDS? Yeah, very. Yeah, you probably maybe already have some conversations with them. 
we haven't known, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating business, and um, I've I've listened to some of the the, the webinars um, from the from the founder, and uh, yeah, it's kind of on my to do list actually, just to reach out and uh, uh, and compare notes. Um, but yeah, well, no, we haven't actually connected yet. Yeah, definitely reach out. I mean, Helvey's an incredible incredible human, really really good guy, and yep. done just so much for the community over the years, and, and founded the company. And, uh, and it's grown. It's grown into a nice sized company uh, over the years. And, and uh, we used to work with it, you know, uh, back in the day, um, you know, uh, so it, it started out as essentially it's a, an agent, in-guest agent, right, uh, for, for Splunk. So it's getting all the, the core metrics, core, you know, VM metrics uh, for, for that end user computing platform. And over the years, it's expanded to so much more than just, you know, memory, CPU, disk. It looks at browser, you know, browser information. It looks at, you know, uh, TCP connections, UDP connections. and and, and does a lot of really cool stuff, but it, it'd be an interesting pair with what you guys are doing on the synthetic side and then what they're doing on kind of the in-guest side. I think it would definitely be uh, worth worth talking to you, specifically when you guys are talking end-user computing for that space, you know. It'd be interesting to, to see how that conversation goes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Cool. Well, I, I've got it as a hard action, so I'll circle back. <laughs> yeah. That put, yeah, put a star next to that one. <laughs> Tell them uh, Jarring and Shane sent you. <laughs> okay. well, so. Um, yeah, so I do have a, so kind of following on to that, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we talked a little bit about the architecture there. Um, you know, now kind of talking about, you know, we just mentioned Uber agent being kind of in guest, right? And, and so what, what was kind of the reasoning and thoughts there about kind of going agentless, um, you know, your, from your perspective for, for Citrix? And I guess you could say any end user computing platform, because I would say you, you are pretty agnostic, right? Um, just being from, from the front end. So whether it's yeah, two, two steps yeah. was designed to be extremely agnostic, and it achieves that by making a really tiny set of assumptions about what uh, what what resources are available to it to do monitoring. So it assumes that you know there is a screen that it can look at for the computer vision piece, and that it can generate input by simulating a mouse on a keyboard or or some other form of human interface device that generates a mouse on a keyboard. And you'll see immediately that makes things like RDP, VNC, Citrix, you know, X11 on, on Unix. Web browsers, all those perfect fits because they'll give you a screen and they take mouse keyboard input. And even some more esoteric devices like, you know, mainframe emulators can be controlled that way. Yep. Uh, so we had this, this really, really basic set of assumptions about what a device would give us. And we, we built around that with a view to being really agnostic and really flexible. And uh, as we went to market, we came across a lot of customers who said, you know, we've got these Citrix applications and, you know, they're, they're like old uh, access database front ends or whatever. Um, none, none of the, the fancy modern Selenium stuff or none of the RUM can, can, can help us here. Um, but, you know, it runs our business or it runs, you know, key functions of the, the department. And we've had it for 10 years. It's really mature. No one's willing to replace it. But, you know, every so often it breaks and we've got no visibility. Um, can you drive it? And we said, well, yeah, we can. Uh, so Citrix has really, really came about not because we planned it that way, but because the market said, you know, we really need this. We, we, we realized, said, you know, we can, we can do that. And it kept coming up. So that, that's how it became, you know, organically a, a key part of our strategy rather than something that was planned ahead of time. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's cool. Yeah, because from a Citrix perspective, we, we look at kind of what's built into the stack, right? They, they used to have, you know, EdSight back in the day, EdSight for load testing, which had some of that scripting capabilities to kind of do but, you know, do some of that, you know, load testing, but also could be used from a monitoring perspective. Um, but but they, they never really evolved that. That kind of went away. And then they have probing, which essentially is kind of built in, you know, and, and, and you can basically set up a probe, which is basically just launching a desktop and then it stops, right? 
Um, and that, that's right. When, yep. as, you, as you say, but they provide an API for to hit the storefront and say that, you know, here are the applications and maybe I can launch one, but they don't show you the aftermath. You can't go into the application and verify that it works or, or you know, click through any screens. And beyond that, Citrix, essentially, essentially Citrix itself publishes a frame buffer with, with not, nothing else attached to it. So all the accessibility information, the equivalent of a dot, the Windows equivalent of a DOM, for example, doesn't get passed through unless you add extra components, which often can't be done. I mean, very often our, our customers are getting Citrix apps from a third-party provider who give them the, the vanilla experience and nothing else. Uh, so, you know, you can either use other tools to let you enumerate what's on the storefront and that's it, or you can do something like ours, which lets you go in there, open up an application, step through a workflow, actually prove that it works, and give you, give you some performance data as well, show, show you how well it's really performing in the real world. Yeah, so so actually to, to kind of, uh, I guess, click into that for a second, when we were talking about, uh, you know, showing showing what the performance looks like. So how are you, I guess, are you, I guess, two-part question. So are you pulling any kind of back-end metrics or are you looking mainly at response time? Because you're from the front end, I guess, are you like, okay, transaction one, two, and three in my steps, this is the, the time it takes to go from, you know, step one to step two, and that's what you're trending over time. Yes, our, our focus is on driving the front end and watching what happens. So uh, there might be a, a requirement where you log into a database, run a query, wait for the results, and you know, verify that certain rows are present that are all, that are usually present. So you can teach two steps, two steps to literally you know, connect to your Citrix storefront, launch the application, make that query, watch the rows you required, verify that they're all there, and log it, log back out again. And you will get a video replay of, the, of it actually doing this in, in real life. So there's no like headless Chrome type nonsense where it's not really rendering. It's all a bit fake. It's all literally there on the screen uh, for you to watch afterwards. Um, and you can, you can time it you know, wall clockwise or, or by digging into APIs. That's exactly what's happening. But we don't go into the Citrix in the back end and, and slurp out logs and start looking at that sort of stuff. Yeah, but of course, use... if you're using Splunk, then you probably yep. those as well. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's a really good data point there, right? If they're already using Splunk, then it's a win-win with the, from a correlation standpoint. Do you guys see yourselves expanding into that area down the road, or you're really kind of staying laser focused on like response time, synthetic monitoring, not worrying about the back end? Let let the other folks take care of that. Yeah, our focus is very much on on that, that front end um, total stack experience. So we we can collaborate nicely with, with existing solutions like Elastic and Splunk, which specialize in infrastructure data and work on pushing the envelope in terms of user experience monitoring and that sort of whole stack black box synthetic monitoring where, where, where we've got something really unique. Um, so that's actually interesting because with you doing that, anyone could pick up two steps, whether it's the, the, the admins, it, it even could be a department saying, hey, we're having problems with this application you know, they can bring two steps in without any help from IT if they, you know, like, like like a testing department or as long as they're savvy enough to pick up two steps, they can bring it in and say, look, you know, even if it's a hosting provider and, and the, the end user, for example, they can just pick it up and, you know, run some tests and say, look, you know, this is the response time we're getting, this is the experience we're getting. Um, and so they can actually prove that because sometimes, you know, with IT and support, it's always like, well, our backend data is doing this. The end user seeing this, it's kind of a he said, she said type of thing. So there's actually a good use case where anyone can bring two steps in and use the um, use the results to help show them what they're actually seeing to whether it's IT, a service provider, you know, or even management or whoever. Yeah, yeah that's the reality there. 
Yeah, we uh, the, a large insurance company in 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 um, in the US. Um, you know, they came to us because the the monitoring team was actually getting overloaded with uh, with requests and and just kind of getting swamped, and so they wanted to pass the ownership back to the uh, the product teams. Um, and so, you know, we got over the line because we we could demonstrate to your point, Jerry, and that you know anybody could pick this up and and run with it. So that was that was interesting. That was the first time that that we that we'd seen that. Um, and I think another interesting um, proof point is um, again a, a state government department in 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 Australia. Um, you know, they they started off a bit of an experiment. Um, uh, the, I think the initial engagement was a hundred thousand um, tests per annum for um, you know something like Andrew was describing earlier. It was a um, it was it's some kind of legacy rostering application based on Citrix, and that's where the initial problem was. Um, fast forward two years later, and they've gone from um, using a hundred thousand um, executions to five million. And that's been with no uh, inside sales, cross sales, up sales effort at all. That's just been purely organic, where it's um, you know two steps has grown arms and legs within that that organisation. So that that's been that's been really tremendous to see because um, you know ov obviously that organic growth is great for our business, but just to I guess give us some comfort that it's providing that amount of value that it's it's spreading that quickly within that that government department. Very nice. Um, so let's kind of circle back to something you mentioned earlier. Um, you mentioned multi-factor authentication. So are you having your own built-in piece? You know, if I'm using something else like, um, um, let's say for anything like radius-based or, you know, I'm built-in Netscaler uh, MFA or a third-party product, how do you handle that in, in your testing uh, if there's multi-factor enabled, whether it's through your own controls or through a, a third-party control? Right. So we, we have a few mechanisms. Uh, for commodity uh, timed one-time passwords between you know, the Google Authenticator compatible uh, TOTP or the RSA um, app uh, one-time passwords, we, we have software implementations of essentially the token. So you can enroll two steps as if it were a mobile phone and it will generate the codes uh, as needed within the tests. Uh, for, that, for those mechanisms. For SMS-based one-time passwords, uh, we've built integrations with some providers of uh, virtual internet phone numbers which can receive SMSs. So two steps in the middle of the test can reach out to those and say, you know, have you received an SMS? If so, we'll apply a regular expression to the SMS received by the, the PIN number and we'll emit that in the test. Uh, finally, uh, for one particular case where they had some unusual security requirements, uh, we have done some custom work with USB attached devices which generate um, keys on the fly, uh, literally attach the device and slurp the keys off that and use it as, as required. But that, that's unusual, uh, not, not, the normal, not, not the normal way of doing things. Yeah, I think one of the interesting parts of that is that we can demonstrate that within one workflow, we can jump from different platforms. So um, the the SMS use case was um, a, a, a bank that um, was having some problems with um, one of the customer experiences um, required um, the customer to enter a one-time PIN that was sent by the SMS. So it was it was setting up future transactions um, from the customer's account. So, you know, we were able to demonstrate that we could 
log in to uh to internet banking on a website chrome safari or firefox whatever it was internet explorer um then um train the robot to um request the future transaction which then triggered the sms we could then as andrew said collect that one-time pin from the mobile device um and then push that back into the uh the web work workflow so that that was something that was quite cool where we were going from uh multiple platforms and, and different devices to to complete that user journey yeah that's great that you have that kind of built-in support for both solutions because you know nowadays i mean even i mean with all the cyber challenges that you have out there on, on the security side. I mean, all these companies, cyber insurance is essentially requiring you to have MFA. It's, it's, a, it's a hard requirement inside, outside, right? So uh, for the most cases, so that that's super prevalent in, in the enterprises as well as even small business, right? And uh, so it's definitely important to have that kind of built in and, and turnkey. So, so awesome job on that. That's great to hear. Uh, some of the other solutions out there are just kind of getting around to getting that built in. So that's, that's definitely good. Um, I guess on the uh, kind of drilling a little bit to um, kind of what you guys are doing, uh, you know, being focused today on the, you know, today on the synthetic monitoring side of things, you know, do you see yourselves, um, you know, expanding a little bit beyond uh, syn synthetic monitoring? Obviously, you had mentioned the word robot, right? And and really, you have this engine that that can, you know, visually conduct a workflow, right? And naturally, the next progression is you're looking at something like what some of these RPA solutions are doing out there, robotic process automation. Is is that the intent to potentially go down that road if the market desires? Or uh, yeah, I know you had mentioned before staying super focused on synthetic monitoring. So I'm just curious if you plan, because you had mentioned the robot and, and maybe that's just what your term is, but I don't know if you're planning on stepping into that space or a customer is asking for that uh, when they see what your bot can do. Uh, Andrew, you want to take this one first? And... Sure. Yeah, I mean, as it happens, I mean, Two Steps is intrinsically capable of acting as a, as a robot in automating workflows. There's no doubt about that. And several of our customers of the synthetic monitoring product have already discovered this and, and are using it as such, you know, in, in anger in, in, in production, uh, as well as doing it for using it for monitoring. Uh, the, so the, the short answer is yes, we're, we're well aware of the, the, the capability to do either DevOps workflows or or traditional work desktop automation or, 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 or you know, RPA uh, type automation. And these things are on our future roadmap, yes. I, I mean, obviously no, no firm dates, but uh, the idea of diversifying is, is not a new one. <laughs> um, and, and, and those are logical places to, divers, to, to diversify. Yeah, no, it makes makes perfect sense. I mean, you look at what Microsoft is doing um, on their side, right? They're, they're getting in there, they're building in. Uh, you know they're bought essentially into into the OS, right? Uh, in some cases, right? Mm, so everyone, absolutely, kinda, yeah, everyone's going to kind of have a handle on how to do some basic scripting uh, with kind of workflow tools. So it, it seems it seems like it's a natural uh, progression uh, on that on that side of things. So I'm curious on the customers you had mentioned that are really expanding, like they took it, it's organically growing within the organization. What um, in the, in the case of your you know the application that you guys built. What does like the role-based access look like? If you have the different departments and things like that, is there a way to kind of break that out? Is it, is it like multi-tenant or just role-based access? They can log in and only see their, their individual flows. Yeah, role-based access is built in from the beginning. Nice. Uh, so when we're, when integrated with Splunk, it, it leverages off the Splunk role-based access controls that are built internally. Gotcha. Um, so, so it's all administered in one place. The standalone version has our own implementation, which which follows that closely. 
to provide us the same results. Uh, so, so, so yes, absolutely. You, you can see your tests and nobody else's. Uh, awesome. You can't yeah, can turn, turning other people's things on or off, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes makes sense, right? I could, uh, I could see that. Um, you know, with, with it growing is growing is a good thing, right? And having it built in with the with the um, our back from the beginning makes sense there. So that's 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 good to hear. Yeah, and, and speaking of our back, do you have like any? like say like search providers using this like in a multi-tenant fashion using the RBAC that way, or are they doing kind of their individual instances in, in those cases? At present, there aren't any installations that, that are multi-tenanted uh, out in the wild. Uh, we, we have had a de demo environments that use that capability ourselves internally. Um, so it is possible, but as a rule, uh, every instance I can think of is single tenanted without any sort of hard, without hard on the department level. It's more, more a, this is, this is the two steps and here are the, the users with, with their sets of tests. But the, the, case, the model does, does scale to that. Okay. Yeah, um, so, I, go ahead, Shane. Yeah, no, go ahead, John. No, you're fine. All right, yeah, I was just curious on, uh, on we talked about kind of licensing and, and every kind of company has different kind of uh, sales model. I'm just curious, do you guys, because you had mentioned not multi-tenant, do you guys work directly with like partners that sell and implement the solution or do, does the, or can customers go directly to you guys and download it and, and get going on it, you know, right away? What does that model look like? Yeah, so it's 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 both actually. So um, you know, we we really um, are going to uh, start to build out the uh, the partner program and double down on that um, in the next in the next twelve months. So we we have a great partner in Australia. We've just signed a partner in the um, in the Netherlands that looks after uh, some of Europe. Um, uh, we we have we have one partner that's kind of yet to really fire in the US, um, but um, yeah, it's kind of impossible for me to scale the business just being the only um, the only only person that sells the product. So, um, yeah, partners are partners are super important, and we're we're gonna we're gonna double down on that. Um, but you know, yes, we we do we do get a lot of um, we we do get inbound leads. Um, we spend a lot of time on um, on on copy and video content, so people found us if they were performing searches like you know synthetic monitoring and splunk or synthetic monitoring and citrix and so we we spent a spent a bit of time on that which is um which is we've been rewarded for um it's uh you know typically we will um when we when we start an engagement uh depending on the size of the requirement um you know, we will either spin up a um, a demo environment where they can play around with that for uh, web tests only. Um, if they really want to go deep and start to test Citrix and Windows applications in their own environment, then we go down the uh, the the PO the POV POC route, um, and that's that's quite a common part of our our sales process. Um, so yeah, so there, there are, there are options available and, um, you know, we, yeah, that's, that's a big part of our sales motion. So, you know, we, we kind of talked about, um, roadmap a little bit and you said that you might branch out in some other areas that you're looking at. Um, do you see like any other areas of testing technology being added to, you know, to kind of ensure like accuracy and efficiency? Um, and then on top of that, where do you see two steps in the next two to three years? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think that it's, um, 
you know, it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword being a company our size because we can be super nimble and agile. There's no bureaucracy or, or red tape. Um, but we do need to be um, fairly disciplined um, around our, our focus because our resources are are finite. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of getting very excited about the next, you know, the next thing. And uh, Andrew sometimes has to pull me back and just say, well, you know, that's a great idea, Simon, but maybe, maybe not for now. Um, so uh, we, uh, I think that we're kind of, we're not exactly veering towards, um, um, you know, expanding into the testing area. Um, you know, certainly kind of the low testing, um, while we could build the product out to do that, that's not really on, on, on the radar. What's been interesting is seeing the customers start to use the product in more of a DevOps automation, um, type scenario. Um, so I think that the, uh, the next, um the next iteration will probably look at that um you know kind of being led by the customers and how they're using it um and so um a kind of rpa tool that's um going to help within that devops environment and through the uh, the software development life cycle i think is something that we're going to look at um, very carefully and that that may be the the next iteration andrew have i said anything controversial there <laughs> no not at all i think what you said is, is very accurate um, I, I will add on, on the technical front, I'm always interest, interested in anything which will make two steps um, as unsurprising as possible, let's say. That, that is smoothing out rough edges um, and making things work without user having to think about, you know, what if, what if, what if. Um, so so one, one area of one, one, one area of investigation for me is leveraging other sources of information that we can overlay onto the computer vision layer. One example being accessibility information. Because uh, accessibility is is generally mandatory, um, you know, in a, in a lot in a lot of jurisdictions, there, there are regulations mandating that there is accessibility for the blind, for example, information added to, um, you know, government websites, applications for enterprise, et cetera, et cetera, and that's all useful information that we can we can pull in to get context to go with the, the computer the computer vision the, the the graphical layer, and potentially add to that engine to you know help it deal with corner cases, help it smooth out transitions, that that sort of thing. Uh, so that, that, that's what is one, one little iota of information for you. And I think that the, the other thing that is quite interesting for us is, um, you know, kind of marketplace opportunities. So again, this, this idea of how do we, how do we scale the business, um, um, when we're a, we're a small company based in, based in Melbourne, Australia. And I think leveraging, um, something like, um, the Azure marketplace, um, could make a lot of sense, um, in terms of uh, providing um, accessibility to the product, and um, and then uh, working with working with the uh, the ABD teams to to, to build out a, a kind of joint value proposition. So that that that's something that we're we're tinkering with in in the background. You can probably do the same with AWS as well with with, with their offering, get in their marketplace, and then also team up with yeah. their EUC team as well as another avenue. Absolutely, yes, yes. So, but that's um, you know, it's 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 an exciting opportunity, to, a, a ton of work. Uh, it's kind of a long road, but um, I think that those are uh, those those are avenues we want to explore for sure.
Yeah, I think those are all all great avenues and kind of another good avenue that, that a lot of companies over, over the years, there's been some some awesome kind of startups in the end user computing space that that have kind of started started small, but really ingrained themselves in the community over the years. You know, Control Up's a really good example of one, right? They've started really small, a company based out of Israel, and they're just a, a, a complete global company now just a, and expanded into digital experience monitoring and just really, really awesome solution over the years. Um, but they, uh, you know, they started small, but really ingraining themselves in the community. So do you see, and, and that, that obviously helps too, right? When you you, know, you can expand the, you know, use the community to help expand, obviously being a smaller kind of focused company as, as you guys grow. Do you guys have any kind of uh, community, you know, license or anything like that? There's, you know, a lot of the companies out there that are trying to expand, they start out with some kind of community license um, where people in, you know, whether it's you know, Citrix community, ABD community, you know, VMware's community, uh, you know, Amazon, et cetera, will, uh, will get kind of access to a license to technically, you know, use in their lab, get familiar with the solution and things like that. Is that anything that you guys have thought of or? It's, um, it, it, it's a great, it's a great point. Um, and I, I think that, you know, we're, we're pretty new to the community. So I, I would say that that's an excellent idea. And it's funny that you mentioned control up because uh, it was only a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to, uh, to their, 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 their guy in, in, in Australia, um, you know, trying to organize a, a call with some of their product team to, to see, um, see what alignment there is between uh, what they're doing and, uh, and what two steps is doing. Um, but yeah, I think um, plugging into the community, um, uh, offering some incentives to, um, yeah, to, to, to play around with the tool and provide feedback is, uh, yeah, a bit of a no-brainer. We should absolutely do that. So, so maybe I'll, 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 we can take this offline and you can tell me um, how, how we go about starting that because I'm, yeah, it's like I say, it's pretty new to us. Yeah, definitely. You know, we've both uh, been in the community a long time and, and really the, the end user commuting, uh, computing uh, community for, you know, 20 plus years now. So yeah, no, definitely can, uh, can give some pointers there. And, and it's good to know that you, you guys are open to that. You know, it's uh, definitely a fun, a fun, fun space to be in. Obviously, synthetic monitoring goes well beyond just end user computing, but end user computing has many uh, workloads that need to be you know monitored inside those desktops, right? So it's kind of kind of mirrors you know merges the two worlds, you know. Uh, so I think it's a it's a good definitely a good target market for you guys. So that's awesome to hear. As we're uh, wrapping things up, uh, Andrew Simon, um, anything else before we, we we close things down? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, I just, just, uh, uh, just would love to say thanks very much for allowing us the opportunity to come on and, and talk to you guys. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. We really appreciate it. And um, you know, if any of the um, the 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 audience um, have any further questions, then you know, feel free to to reach out, hit me up on the website or LinkedIn. Um, always happy to talk about this subject. But yeah, super grateful for the opportunity. So thanks, guys. Yeah, and just following on to that real quick, uh, uh, Simon, I guess if someone, you know, the listeners are out there listening and they're like, hey, this sounds pretty cool. I want to download it and test it. What's the best way they can download it, test it, and get a follow-up uh, uh, from you guys to, to kind of help them out? Yeah, so um, just uh, go, to, go to the website, which is twosteps.io. Um, just book a call with me. It's kind of, it's, a, it's, uh, it's not as easy as just kind of clicking a link and downloading it, but... Um, 
it's um you know we'll we'll do some work on on the back end and we can spin up uh we can spin up a test environment in you know minutes um but yeah the simplest way to get that done is just uh go to twosteps.io book a call um and we can jump on with the right members of the team and and, and help out no that's awesome and, and i was just gonna say make sure uh you add that io if you google two steps there's a dating uh chat app not that i was looking for dating and chat apps. You know, well it's funny actually because when that that website launched we we didn't realize and our uh, google traffic went like crazy for the like, what is going on uh and then we realized it was uh yeah it's uh dude uh, you, you might have a partnership there i don't know like you can imagine going through all those dating swipe left swipe right the bot can do it for you i don't know <laughs> hey, if there's any, um, if there's these are any, my preferences, you know. <laughs> well, if there's any end user experience monitoring experts on that dating app, then uh, then maybe the worlds will collide. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there you go. And just to clarify, it, it's two steps. The the number so number two oh, good steps point, yeah. io um, to get to the website. And of course, as always, we'll have the corresponding blog post that I'll have links to it and and so forth. So. Uh, Andrew, Simon, thank you again. I uh, really appreciate your time today and, you know, hopefully looking forward to getting this out. Um, and Shane, thanks again for coming on and, and being a, a special uh, guest co-host. Um, to all of our listeners out there, um, you know, hopefully everyone has a a ha happy holidays, Merry Christmas, you know, whatever you, uh, whatever you celebrate at the end of the year. Um, and hopefully everyone has a healthy and happy new year. Um, Thank you for listening to the Frontline Chatter podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Take care, everybody. Thank you.